Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 42 of No Rain Date, your local news and interview podcast covering Saucon Valley and beyond. I'm Josh Popachak, your host for No Rain Date and the publisher of Saucon Source, here with the headlines that people are talking about for the week ending February 20th, 2021. The weather has been big news once again, and you know that if you've been in the area this past week. It's been cold, it's been snowy, and that's been the pattern basically all February to date now. According to the latest forecast, there is a warm-up scheduled for the upcoming week. Temperatures are supposed to soar into the 40s, which is going to feel probably like the 50s or 60s because it's been so cold and snowy, but that's still a few days away. The latest round of winter weather came Thursday and Friday when we saw quite a bit of snow over a long period of time. There was also some sleet. We did not see the snowfall totals that we saw earlier in the month from the big storm that began January 31st and ended on Groundhog Day. However, generally it seems like between five and six inches was recorded at locations around the Lehigh Valley. I was just looking at some snowfall totals from the National Weather Service. Lehigh Valley International Airport, as of midday Friday, had reported five and a half inches of snow. Coopersburg Borough, 5.2 inches. Those totals seem to be in line with what I saw at my house in Fountain Hill. It was uh, fairly light, fluffy snow, but there was a layer of sleet mixed in with it that fell on Thursday, so that made it a little heavier to shovel. Certainly, the shovels have been getting a workout, and depending on where you live, you're running out of places to put this snow because prior to Thursday's storm, there was a good foot on the ground and very large snow piles due to the fact that we've had frequent smaller snow events since the beginning of the month. That warm-up will definitely help with the snow piles, but we've still got a month to go with winter, and uh, it remains to be seen whether we will have some more storms. That's been the pattern, as I mentioned. It's unusual because it hasn't been this way in several years. Certainly it's affected work, school, and everybody's, or many people's moods. I know some people are looking to plan their vacations right now just so they can think about something else. The cold and the frequent snow and ice can wear on your temperament. Speaking of ice, we've seen some incredible icicles lately. I don't know exactly what the recipe is for these large icicles, but I have not seen so many and such big ones in many years, if ever. It seems like maybe we had just the optimal temperatures where it was in the 20s quite a bit of the time. It wasn't really getting above freezing in the daytime, but it wasn't getting super cold at night either. So you still had that drip, drip, drip going on all night. And I saw one the other day that was easily 12 feet long hanging off a building in Fountain Hill. That's 
pretty amazing and you do have to be careful about them and sort of look up if you're walking near the overhang of a building so we might have some more crashing down in the coming days with the warming temperatures everybody should be safe and also be safe driving at night black ice will probably be a concern because we'll have the warm temperatures during the day but then the refreezing of the melted snow water overnight so we'll continue to report on the latest weather news in Saucon Valley and uh, share photos and we always enjoy it when our readers share photos as well it's pretty if you are able to enjoy it and go for a walk and take pictures that's certainly a nice thing to do just be careful of course when you're walking and and hopefully the the sidewalks will be improving as well there's been a lot of shoveling a lot of salting and the plow truck drivers have been very busy so again thank you to all our public works employees they've been working around the clock once again to keep the streets free of snow and ice as much as possible and it seems like they've been doing a good job in Hellertown, Lower Saucon, and Fountain Hill. Those are the only roads I've driven on personally the past few days. They have been in in good condition and parking on Main Street in Hellertown is also in pretty good shape. I experienced that on Friday. Several business owners were remarking to me that they were very impressed with the job that the borough has done with snow removal. So good job to the teamwork of the Public Works Department and the private contractors who have been out there assisting them. In business news, we had a story this week about a hiring event that's occurring at Uline, which is a supply specialist. They provide supplies to other businesses, and they're a huge national company. They have a large warehouse in Upper McCungee Township, and they are in the process of hiring 200 new warehouse workers at pay rates of starting at $23 an hour. If you're looking for a job, the hiring event is on Saturday, and you do have to make an appointment. The information about how to do that is in our story on SalkinSource.com. Clearly, a lot of people are looking for work, as evidenced by the number of shares that that story got on our Facebook page. Last time I checked, it was well over 100 shares. Certainly, it's gotten a lot of traffic on the website, as I mentioned. In other business news, not so good news, we reported on the closure of a business at the Promenade Shops at Saucon Valley. Peeps and Company officially closed on Thursday. This was a store operated by Just Born, a Bethlehem candy company that most of you are probably familiar with. They make the Peeps, which are the marshmallow chicks that are popular at Easter time. But they also make a lot of other candy brands that are popular like Mike and Ike's and the uh, peanut chocolate chews that are a little bit hard on your teeth maybe but they're also very tasty. This was one of several Peeps and Company stores that the company had operated. The other stores were not in this area and they closed within the last couple of years. The last remaining one was at the Promenade Shops. That closure was due to the COVID-19 pandemic, according to a PR spokesperson for Just Born. Certainly, that's not unusual. We've had a number of closures throughout the Saucon Valley and also in the promenade shops since the pandemic began almost a year ago. Among them, specifically at the promenade, I know I've been to Children's Place, Zales, Jewelers, 
there's a couple more that are mentioned in the article about the closure of Peeps and Company. And unfortunately, this is part of a bigger trend where people are shopping online. So brick and mortar retail is suffering as a result. That was accelerated by COVID-19 when businesses were closed for a period of time. And then many people did not want to risk their health by shopping in person. So they started shopping on sites like Amazon and did not return in many cases to the stores that they had previously shopped at. According to our count, there are now 27 vacancies in the promenade shops and the Lifestyle Center has a total of about 80 retail spaces of varying sizes. The anchor tenants have not really been impacted and those are like L.L. Bean, Fresh Market, AMC, those spaces are all still full. It's primarily the smaller storefronts that are empty, but in some cases you have two, three, four in a row now that are dark. And that's obviously an issue as far as the aesthetics of the shopping center are concerned. Many readers commented about this when we shared the story on Facebook. They talked about the rents possibly being unattainable for businesses, particularly in this economic climate. Whether they are able to attract new tenants remains to be seen, but I'm sure the staff at the promenade shops want to fill those spaces as much as we want them to be filled because the vibrancy of the Lifestyle Center matters to a lot of people. It means jobs in the area too. So we will continue to monitor the situation at the promenade and report on openings and closings. Hopefully we'll be reporting on some openings this spring. At Sock and Source, we try to provide you with a balanced diet of good news and bad news, just like life. Our news is a reflection of life, and that's why we have a combination of that on the site at all times. I want to share a couple of good news headlines that we had this week. One story by our reporter, Johnny Hart, is about an upcoming art show featuring the work of some very special uh, young adults. This is at the art establishment in Fountain Hill, and it's called their Special Visions Art Show. It's dedicated to the art of special needs artists, and we think that's really awesome. Owners Tom and Ellen Flynn took some time to talk about the show, which has actually been going on for five years with us. This is coming up in March. You can find out more information about how to participate in it in the story. I believe the deadline to submit artwork for it is February 28th. And due to COVID-19, it is taking place online this year for everyone's safety. Of course, it's a little more fun when you can have a gallery show in person, but we understand that that's not possible right now, of course. And it's great that they're continuing it. The art establishment has a strong commitment towards supporting individuals with special needs in the community, and we want to support them by helping publicize that. So check out that story. Another great one that I know put smiles on people's faces is about a Bethlehem Township man in his 70s who beat COVID-19 
his story is pretty remarkable because he was one of the first people in the area to develop a severe case last March. And he was ultimately on a ventilator for something like five weeks and was given the last rites by a Catholic priest because his condition was so dire. He was treated at St. Luke's and has received a variety of, of treatments there. His name is Tom Ruger, and he's from Bethlehem Township. It's an inspiring story of, of one person's survival against this horrible disease that has claimed over 400,000 lives as of recently. That number continues to rise, although thankfully it's not going up to the degree it was a month or two ago as more and more people are being vaccinated. Of course, that is helping. Unfortunately, we have a story about a vaccine shortage in Pennsylvania this week, which could impact the number of cases potentially in the short term. The State Department of Health reported this week that in Pennsylvania there is a shortage of Moderna vaccine second doses because of inventory management, or rather mismanagement. Vaccine providers were administering Moderna doses that were supposed to be second doses as first doses. So that means some people that recently received their first dose of the Moderna vaccine may not be able to get their second dose on schedule. Normally that's supposed to be administered four weeks after the first dose. According to the Department of Health, that will not be delayed by more than two weeks. That's within the window of efficacy for these doses. If you did recently receive a Moderna dose and your vac- your second dose is going to be delayed, you should be receiving a call in the near future from the vaccine provider to make you aware of that and reschedule your appointment. Although one dose is somewhat helpful, it's not full protection. So as you're waiting for the second dose, you should continue to wear a mask, sanitize, practice physical distancing, you know, wash your hands, continue those habits even after you get your second dose. That's what the recommendations of the Centers for Disease Control and state and local health officials have been. We certainly endorse them because we want everybody in our community to remain safe. Speaking of the vaccine, we reported this week on Upper Saucon Township, where Township Board of Supervisors recently approved an incentive of $200 for township employees to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. There has been resistance at all levels of society by some, a minority of people, over a variety of concerns related to the vaccine. One is certainly that it was approved in record time, and many people maybe don't feel comfortable taking a vaccine that was approved in less than a year with, you know, accelerated testing. Some people may have religious objections. There's just a variety of reasons. And obviously, the cash bonus is intended to be an incentive to help promote vaccination. It's not something that is legally required at this point or really likely ever to be legally required. So this is a solution that not just local government, but many uh, private businesses, healthcare institutions, and other organizations have come up with. Apparently it works or they wouldn't be trying it. So we uh, did report on that and, and some readers expressed concerns about the fact that this is a municipality that's 
funding this rather than a private business. I'm not aware of other local municipalities that are doing this, but it's certainly possible that they will in the future. The vaccine vaccination rate varies considerably. It remains to be seen whether you know these types of incentives will be required more and more as time goes by. Also, the variants of COVID-19 are adding to the mix, sort of a complicating factor. Whether this vaccine is ultimately effective against any or all of them is still being determined. It's a evolving situation and we're continuing to monitor it. And those are the headlines for the week ending February 20th, 2021. We hope you've had a great week and we'll see you again next week for the news roundup here on No Rain Date. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome Kimberly Levitt, who's the Health Programs and Supportive Services Manager at the Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center in Allentown. She's going to tell us about some of the great programming they have, which we recently reported on, in particular their uh, campaign to increase mammograms for members of the LGBT community. Welcome, and thanks for joining us, Kimberly. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on here. I have to admit, this is my first podcast recording (laughs) ever. Well, we love that. We are very, we're new to podcasting here ourselves, relatively. We've only had no rain date on for a little over a year. We we can appreciate the, the newness of it all, and we're just happy to have you here. How long have you been with the Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center? So I'm almost up on my year anniversary, which is really exciting. 
I started last year and I've been working virtually since I started. I pretty much started at the peak of the beginning of COVID and obviously our doors closed to the community, unfortunately, when that, that all started. So I've been working remotely, but it hasn't stopped us. We've been thriving and all of our programming moved virtually as well. So we're still doing exactly what we were doing in person, actually. Right. And and the center itself is not that old. I think it's maybe like five years old or something like that. Yeah, we're 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 still new. About I think we're about six years old. I think. And our building is located in downtown Allentown, so we're right in the heart of the city. We have a really, really cool building. So once doors open, of course, com- the community is obviously welcome to come in and check it out. But yeah, I guess you could say we're still we're still new and growing, which is. Which is exciting. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. And and I'd love to check it out once we're able to do so safely again, which hopefully will be sometime in 2021. (laughs) I think so. I have hope. I have hope for this year. I think if things go according to plan, we'll all be able to see each other again and go to a restaurant. And my wife and I were just saying, we can't even remember the last time we went out to dinner together at a restaurant, actually. So that's right. something we're most looking forward to. Yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of us can can relate to that. I know I can. It's encouraging, though. I like to look at the, I think it's on the New York Times, the sort of like a barometer or a, a bar where it shows like the number of people that are have had one dose of the vaccine and those that are fully vaccinated and it's like inching upward. So that's always yeah. a nice visual. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I've been trying to, I think I've been trying to keep my eyes away from the news and the headlines recently because it just, you know, sometimes it, it's a lot, but I think, like you said, it's nice to see a little bit of change in the right direction. I think it's encouraging for people who have been feeling really isolated and down and not motivated to see that there's going to be a shift. Right. Absolutely. That's a whole other podcast topic, just how the isolation (laughs) has affected mental health, which, I mean, obviously it has, and and not in, in good ways. But on the plus side, there is technology that can help us, like, stay connected, which obviously is not the same as in-person contact but it's also better than no contact that's one of the things that i know that you are taking full advantage of in your position and it ties in with the campaign that i that i mentioned which was recently launched a mammogram can be a lifesaver tell us what led to the the start of this initiative sure so bradbury sullivan lgbt community center is it's a nonprofit organization we do work with not just health we do work with the arts youth like i said we do pride programming where we host lehigh valley pride we have supportive services we do advocacy training so we we do a lot of things but for the organization to thrive and for all these programs to work we require sponsorships and grants and donations so this program in particular a mammogram can be a lifesaver is sponsored by a grant through the network for the National Library of Medicine. So we proposed this topic to the network for the National Library of Medicine and they accepted it. And that's kind of where we were able to start and, and turn this into a really amazing campaign. 
we decided to focus on breast health in particular for a few different reasons. I mean, just a little bit of background information. People who identify as lesbian or bisexual women are less likely to get routine mammogram screenings. And that's really the main reason behind it is that we wanna make sure that people who are eligible and should be getting their recommended mammograms are getting them because it's so important. These screenings are a prevention really because you could detect something early and that's really the best protection against any breast cancer or anything that's going on. Right. That statistic is included in the story I mentioned that we published. And I was shocked at the disparity because it's it's pretty significant between the general population and LGBT. It's, it's like 5% of women in the general population nationwide have never had a mammogram. But for lesbian and bisexual women, it's like 20%. And for transgender, it's even higher. So it's pretty, pretty significant. And yes, absolutely, absolutely. Transgender people, there's definitely a huge gap there. I mean, 45% is, I think that's very, very high for those who are eligible. Right. And that number is specifically for people in Pennsylvania, by the way. So that rate is nine times higher than the majority of the population, which is, I think it's scary. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think. For this, it's really providing information and education and just informing those who are in in need of something like this the most. That's really where we came from. And the the title, A Mammogram Can Be a Lifesaver, came together with the health team. We came up with that slogan and thought it would be catchy. And the the lifesaver isn't a candy lifesaver. I don't want people to get confused (laughs) that it's like a rock candy. It's a flotation device, like it's saving your life. Right. So it, we thought it was cute. Yeah, I love I love the, uh, the branding that you came up with, and it's very eye-catching, I think. What are some of the factors that have been identified that have led to this disparity? Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So there continues to be numerous barriers that prevent LGBTQ people from receiving care in general, whether that's a mammogram, going for routine physician appointment, or anything like that. I think negative health outcomes for LGBTQ people are due to like a cumulative and intersecting impact of many different factors, particularly their reduced access to employer-provided health insurance, for example. There's a social stigma that's huge. That's one of the, the biggest things that I look into and research is that social stigma that exists against LGBTQ people and a lack of cultural competence in the healthcare system also is, is a huge concern. Making sure that you're, you're, the care you're receiving or a doctor's office that, that you're entering is affirming and inclusive and that you're getting the proper care and not feeling discriminated or that you're not feeling stigma. I would say many people do not tell their doctor about their sexual orientation because they don't want that discrimination to affect their quality of healthcare they receive. So there's already a barrier there. Again, fear of having a negative experience with a healthcare provider can lead some people to delay or avoid medical care at all. You're pushing it off, pushing it off, you have fear, you're really nervous, and then it's too late, especially like a routine screening like a mammogram. Again, missing a routine cancer screening like this can lead to the disease being diagnosed at a later stage where it's really hard to treat it. And then for transgender men, I know we mentioned transgender before, transgender men, their barriers to breast screening tests are compounded with just providers lack 
of cultural competence or humility and medical competency regarding gender body care for transgender people. So I think there, there's, I just, I just went on and on. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I think in general, there's, there's a few barriers to care that are still very present today, even in accepting community like Allentown. Right. Right. And certainly I think it's interesting too, because in a lot of ways, the U.S. healthcare system, as we've observed, is not, as we've observed through COVID-19, is not really set up very well with regards to preventive medicine in a lot of cases. However, mammograms are nothing new. They've been around for a long time. I mean, I remember campaigns you know, public information campaigns probably as far back as the 80s. So I think that was one of the reasons I was surprised that there is this huge issue with with access. And we're in 2021. Yeah, like you said, it's scary. One thought I had, I mean, I, I recently watched a documentary it was about gynecomastia, actually. So men can have you know, breasts develop and, and have breast cancer. Is that something, like, if it was a gay man that, that had gynecomastia, would they fall under the auspices of this campaign? So for this campaign in particular, we are targeting people identified as lesbian or bisexual women. So for this particular campaign, of course, the resources that we are providing regarding, like, affirming screening locations, they can absolutely use and would be of value to them because they would be able to potentially go and get a mammogram screening. But in regards to a mammogram can be a lifesaver. It's particularly geared more towards lesbian and bisexual women since studies mostly show that they're less likely to get their routine screenings. Right. And that makes sense. It's a much, much larger percentage of people. The, The article also highlighted that, you know, in some cases, like maybe lifestyle factors that are more prevalent among LGBT community members could increase their risk of cancer, like just in general, such as like smoking is a higher percentage of people in the LGBTQ community are smokers. So that's also playing into the the, the risks. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, age, I think, is the biggest factor that people, the general population, are aware of. If you get to a certain age, you might be more at risk and you should be considering your screenings. So age is big. I think the second biggest thing is family history when it comes to breast health and genetics and understanding that background about yourself. And then the other things are like you mentioned, obesity and your light healthy lifestyle, alcohol use, you mentioned smoking. So those other factors definitely contribute to potentially being at risk of developing breast cancer. Right. And I should highlight that, you know, the through this campaign, you have created or scheduled a number of information sessions in partnership with libraries throughout the Lehigh Valley and even into the Poconos, Berks County. We were assisting with promoting um, an upcoming information session that's going to be at the Emmaus Public Library on Monday, March 8th at 630 and this is a informational session about breast cancer screenings and you can RSVP for that. We have the information on an ad on the website and also in the story, RSVP via email or clicking on the ad. But that's just one of a number of the information sessions that you have 
coming up and and you've had a, a couple already right yeah yeah we've had three in partnership with other public libraries in the area and you already mentioned a few of them it's scattered around a little bit so Kutztown was the most recent one Nazareth and then we worked with Eastern Monroe and they all were great we love presenting to the community and getting this information out to people I also wanted to mention that we are also in partnership with this campaign with Women's 5K Classic, which is another nonprofit in Lehigh Valley that specifically raises money for breast cancer. So they've provided some resources for us to do some additional presentations on top of those library ones. So we do have additional ones coming up if anyone is interested on March 12th, March 15th, and potentially another one in May. And all that information can be found on our website. So thank you to the Women's 5K Classic for making that possible and for providing us those resources to do for additional presentations. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And we can also update our story with uh, the additional dates, I should say, and times. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. In addition to this campaign, what other kind of initiatives have you worked on or are you planning for the future as far as, like, health for the LGBTQ community? Absolutely, yeah. That's a really, really hard question to answer in like 30 seconds. So (laughs) I'm gonna do my best. Uh, We do some amazing work at the center. Our health team, we're always so busy. One of our biggest programs that we've been working on now for a while is our LGBT smoke free campaign. So that's exactly what it sounds like. We are providing information for people to quit smoking through the quit line, which is a phone number people can call for tobacco cessation resources. So that is currently happening. And we advertise this on our social media through local newspapers. And we have all this information on our website as well. Some other ones that we did in the past include, if you've got it, pap it which is a campaign around making sure that LGBT women see their gynecologist and get their pap smear, their recommended pap smear every year. So that obviously is extremely important. Again, this information is on our website and this is very similar, I would say, to the breast health campaign in that we are providing LGBT affirming locations for people to be able to go get their pap smears. And then another one that we have upcoming in March is for colorectal cancer and for people over the age of 50 to make sure that they get their routine colonoscopies and screenings that are recommended. You know, despite preventative screenings available to stop colorectal cancer, only about 68% of LGBT Pennsylvanians over the age of 50 have reported completing their colonoscopy or anything like that. So we're hoping to get the word out even more than it already is because colon cancer is one of the most popular cancers among anyone, not just LGBT people. So we want to make sure that those who are eligible have the resources and the opportunity to go get those screenings and have the, you know, results and then they're able to take action from there. Right. No, that's, I mean, I I unfortunately have have a a close family member who diagnosed last year with with colon cancer so I can definitely attest to that and I was actually told 
you know, when you have an immediate family member, 45 is the age they want they want you to get screened. At least this particular doctor did. I guess it it varies somewhat, but yeah, super important. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. You mentioned that you have a, a gala fundraiser coming up. Can you tell our listeners a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this year, our virtual gala. Yes, I said virtual gala. It is happening on March 24th at 6 o'clock, 6 to 7 o'clock. And this year, we will be celebrating, recognizing, and awarding four local leaders in our community for their tireless efforts in providing a more equitable community for everyone. There will be, of course, some celebrity guest appearances. There will be funds raised to support our year-round programs and some other fun things happening. So definitely try and tune in on March 24th. And again, all this information can be found on our websites, under our events page, and you can find all the information there. And I'll just mention that the website is bradburysullivancenter.org. So maybe even like bookmark that website since it sounds like, well, you do have a lot of great resources on it and information and that way people can easily access it. But you're also on social media, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere yeah, else. We're on Twitter, we're on YouTube. We are everywhere. <laughs> That's great. Gotta be anymore. Well thank you so much, Kimberly, for joining us and for all the hard work that you've done already on this campaign and still yet to go. I know it's reaching a lot of people who need access to the information and ultimately this preventive screening tool. So fantastic work. And it's our pleasure to continue to help promote the work that you're doing at the center. So I hope you'll continue to keep us in the loop about future endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to working with you and joining another podcast at some point. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely. It's always always a great way to sort of supplement, you know, the the information that we publish because sometimes it's it's convenient or just different and fun to hear the news, you know, instead of just reading it. I find that to be true myself and I'm writing a lot of it. So, it's just a different way of getting the information out there and and reaching maybe a different subset of people. So, always happy to do that and and health topics are among the most important so we'll always prioritize that and everyone make sure that you're continuing to wear your mask and socially distancing and washing your hands none of that has gone away absolutely we've come this far it's like why stop now (laughs) exactly although i have like seen in the news about other states, I forget which ones, but dropping their mask mandates. And I'm just like, you know, palm meat forehead, like (laughs) (laughs) hard to, hard to fathom doing that now. Um, but yeah, please continue to think about others, even if you're not worried about yourself. Absolutely. Especially we just passed Valentine's day and I have to say love, I guess is in the air. And if you are if love is in the air, then you should be wearing your mask for yourself <laughs> and for everyone else around you. That's a good way of putting it. We just had President's Day, too. They should have put, like, masks on <laughs> Mount Rushmore or something. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Kimberly, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. 
Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Every night, he climbs the tower. On this week's episode of No Rain Date, I am happy to be joined by Emma Ackerman, who is the general manager of Touchstone Theater in Bethlehem and also an ensemble member there. Touchstone is a landmark local theatrical company and been a part of the Bethlehem community for many years. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I want to start off by talking a little bit about the history of the theater. I grew up fortunate to be in a family that placed a lot of value on exposure to the arts and was taken to, you know, I remember the, the Christmas Follies there mm-hmm. as a kid. And that was a lot of fun. I can remember going to other productions there and, and you guys have maintained that level of excellence for many, many years. So I, I certainly tip my hat to you for that. Tell us a little bit about the history and what has brought Touchstone to where it is today. Sure. So Touchstone was founded in 1981, and it came out of a sort of street theater course at Lehigh that one of our co-founders was uh, taking at the time. And he and the group of artists that he'd sort of gathered around him were really passionate about making, making artwork that could be for everyone. And, you know, with the idea of sort of taking it out to the streets, to the public parks, to wherever people were. And that's sort of been a big piece of our ethos and aesthetic ever since our founding. We have a, you know, cozy little black box theater on the south side of Bethlehem, but we don't do all of our work there. We're frequently performing out on the Greenway on south side Bethlehem. We still put on shows in public parks sometimes. And we're still, you know, even years later working on theater that can be for everyone. And one big part of that is our community-based works. We believe really strongly that Touchstone is a company that should be telling stories by, for, and about the community. And we really try to reflect that in as much of our work as possible. We look for stories in our community that should have a spotlight shown on them, things that we're struggling with, questions that we're asking. And we say, okay, how can we make a piece of art that helps us deal with it or helps us tell these stories that we're seeing all around us. So those are two big pieces of what we do. And then a third big piece of what we do is education work. We work on after-school programs, introducing kids to arts as a positive means of self-expression. We work with all sorts of kids of all ages on sort of developing their voice, learning to make their own theater, learning to tell their own stories. Fantastic. Yeah, wonderful to hear that, that you have that level of, of outreach within the community. Like I said, you know, not every child is fortunate enough to go grow up in a house where yeah. they have parents that are actively working to, you know, bring art into their lives. So that might that exposure might be the the spark that ignites something in, in these kids. Yeah, that's that's actually a big part of why we work directly in the schools and with the schools is that we know that, you know, so few of these kids will, you know, be able to go and see shows and many of them come from households where this might be some of the only exposure to theater they get. And we really want to encourage them that even if that's not something that's financially possible for them right now or it's not something that their families have time for right now, 
that it can still be a really positive force in their lives and that they can be artists even if it you know even if it doesn't seem like it right is it is this primarily the bethlehem area school district or uh, all? Uh, primarily yes we also do some work with the allentown school district we've uh, done easton from time to time as well okay and the age the age range of the kids is variable our flagship program is called young playwrights lab which is where we go into schools and teach kids to write plays which is primarily third fourth fifth grade we get some middle schoolers occasionally high schoolers and then during the summer we have summer camps for kids ages i think 8 to 13 for the younger group and 13 to 17 for the older group and again it's kids from all walks cool that, that sounds like that would be a lot of fun, like just to, because kids at that age, their imaginations are just wild, like, or yeah. they, they can be. <laughs> and it's great, it's great just being able to like, give them a place to play. And it's like, all right, we're all going to be animals today, or we're all going to be space aliens today. And like, you know, let's just fool around and, and see what we can make up. Yeah. Um, and it's great to be able to, to give them a space for that. I think some adults would benefit from that too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, people forget what it's like, especially even last year, I've noticed like people are so serious, you know, and, and understandably in many cases, but it's like you, you need to give yourself permission once in a while to like let your mind go free a little bit. And yeah, I don't know. And I think we, what we found, like you said, last year in particular, was both where the kids definitely wanted a chance to like just be kids and just play and we moved a lot of our programming online successfully which we're very grateful for we've continued to be just like blown away by how well and enthusiastically the kids are willing to meet us even when it's on zoom even when it's like through you know other means of distance learning they've been really happy for the chance to play and they've been really articulate about you know their loneliness and frustration and the difficult year that we've had like they're incredibly brave and articulate about it as well that's heartwarming to hear that as far as your physical location you mentioned the black box theater it, obviously it is an intimate theater setting have you been able to stage productions there at all in, in the last year? or And if you have, how has that worked? So our first production of the quarantine times was in May. And usually in May, we would be wrapping up our Young Playwrights program with a festival where we would stage a selection of plays written by these kids. And obviously we couldn't do that. But what we could do was what a lot of people were doing at that time, which was stage a Zoom reading. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we did. We got Touchstone company members together on Zoom, but also friends and Bethlehem community members and like friends of Touchstone from years past who have since moved to California or New York or France. Hmm. And we could invite them and say, hey, we're still doing Young Playwrights Festival. Do you want to be in it? And people overwhelmingly said yes, and it was really heartwarming to see. So that was our first sort of step into the world of COVID theater. Over the summer and into the fall, we did a selection of outdoor work. For those that know Touchstone Theater, we've got a parking lot behind our building 
and we were able to set up socially distanced tables in our parking lot so that people could come to shows, be in little islands that were away from each other, outside where the airflow was good, and put on a concert or a show or a storytelling series. That's what we did summer through fall. And you mentioned earlier our classic Christmas City Follies, which is our holiday vaudeville that we create new every year. We knew it was going to be too cold to have people outside for that, so we turned it into a movie. We spent most of November filming and editing and teaching ourselves how to do new stuff. And uh, by December 22nd, I think it was, we had a movie that we could share with our audience. So it's been a sort of combination of online stuff when we need to and outdoor stuff when we can. That's, I mean, that's great adaptivity to a challenging situation. I would imagine economically has it been a struggle because even in the best of times, you know, community theater, I know, can be a, a challenging, you know, financial picture. But you have like a, members of the Touchstone Theater that are member supporters, right? Yes. And on the whole, we've been, you know, it's a tricky line to, for us to walk keep the lights on, we want to keep making art, but we also recognize that most of our patrons are also in, you know, a similar situation. And as much as we are, you know, thinking about, gosh, how are we going to make up this money that we're not making with shows, everyone else is having that same conversation. It's been an interesting year of trying to balance how we think about asking for support, but our community has been incredibly generous whether that's through money or time, just volunteering, there's still stuff that people are, ways that people are able to get involved that do not require us, us being unsafe. And even just like, you know, sort of enthusiastic words saying like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for putting on this show. We, you know, we weren't comfortable being, being there in the outdoor audience, but we, could, we were walking by and we saw it and we really felt great about it. So just just the cheerleading has been a, a huge support as well in sort of more financial nitty-gritty there's been a lot of granting being made available especially for arts organizations and that's something that our managing director lisa jordan has been just like constantly working on finding appropriate sources of revenue that we can write for and just you know figuring out what's a good fit for us but honestly it's, I don't want to pretend that it hasn't been a challenging year because obviously it has, but I think that we're accustomed to adapting quickly and pivoting quickly, both financially and otherwise. And that's, it's something we've been really fortunate to have in our tool belt. Right. Well, and, and thankfully you, you have a history 40 years, which is awesome. Yeah. I know like newer organizations have had an even harder time in many cases because they don't have that history or that base of support necessarily. Um, Absolutely, that's definitely been something we're, we're, we're keenly aware of and we're, um, because we have that sort of, you know, reputation currency, we're also trying to say like, okay, we've, you know, we've had it tough, but we haven't had it as tough as these other people. So how can we be supporting them? Can we like, you know, be sharing out our outdoor performing space with other artists? Can we be sharing resources with other arts groups? 
Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's, there's limits to what we can do, but we know that we're lucky in many ways and we try to share and spread that around as much as we can. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and I, and I did not mean to single you, you guys out either. I I think I've asked this question of almost every artistic organization, just because I know that when the economy goes bad, first thing a lot of people cut from their budget is the arts unfortunately absolutely yeah (laughs) like there goes the donation to you know pbs or whatever and unfortunately you know when when you cut these you know when you lose an an organization that's art artistic in nature you probably will never get it back and you lose all of that history and culture and and light that it brings to the world so Glad to hear that that you are are surviving, and certainly if people are interested in becoming members, I would encourage them to visit your website, where I'm sure you have information about being able to do that. Yeah, you can head on over to touchstone.org, where there's information about upcoming events and getting on our mailing list and making donations and just getting involved. We'd be, we're always happy to see new faces. Great. You mentioned a little bit about the the history and the relationship between the community, I guess particularly Southside Bethlehem and, and the theater. They're sort of interwoven close together. And, and I can remember as a kid even seeing a, a show there that really inspired my curiosity. I mean, I've always been a history lover and it was something like a true crime story that was ripped from an old like (laughs) 1920s newspaper that was like turned into a play and it was like really cool to me because it was like you know the jazz age and like a flapper was like murdered or something and that was many many years ago but just one example you know of of how I think that you've over the years incorporated local, in this case, history into your productions. But you also talked about, you know, the the social issues that are impacting the community. Can you like share a, maybe a few examples of how those are turned into art through Touchstone? Sure. So our our sort of current ongoing community-based work is called Festival Unbound. It started out as a 10-day arts festival that we did in fall of 2019. And basically, it was it was kind of a throwback to Touchstone's production. We did a production in 1999 called Steelbound. And it was at the time that the steel was closing. The community was, you know, had a lot of feelings about this process and this sort of historic passing of a major community institution you know, good and bad feelings. And Touchstone created this arts festival to celebrate and commemorate the passing of Bethlehem Steel. So knowing that 2019 was coming up, we looked to the community and, was, and you know, basically said, okay, we're no longer bound to the steel. We are unbound from that. What are we now? And what are the, you know, who do we want to become as a community? And so Festival Unbound was a way of sort of addressing that through questions of diversity and inclusion and of environmentalism and youth voices and sort of trying to get 
as many voices from the community as possible talking about what do we want the future to look like? What hmm. do we want our community to look like 20 years from now? And that turned into concerts and storytelling pieces and original theatrical works. And all of it starts, generally all of it starts with story gathering. We go to a community or we go to people on the street or we gather people together at Touchstone and say, hey, what do you think about this? And just let people talk. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much that we learn from that, just having people from the community over and letting them talk. And from their words, from their ideas, from what we can sort of amalgamate from many of them coming together, we're able to put on these sort of big, dramatic, colorful, blown up versions of what they have to say or the questions they're asking. So that's how that started in 2019. Everyone involved had such a good time that basically they said, well, when are we doing this again? And so we said, okay, I guess we're doing it again in 2020. <laughs> now, of course, 2020 rolled around and it ended up not being a great year for coming together right. and having lots of close conversations. But like I said, we still managed to come together safely, distanced fully with outdoor shows and just chances for people to speak their mind. We had different community groups have featured nights throughout September. We had artists get a chance to sing and perform and puppet. And we tried to make sure that everything was also going out as live streams as well so that those who weren't comfortable coming out could still tune in. And I think it's really cool. I mean, there's something really cool about taking the theater outside, partly because that's where it began, really, in ancient Greece. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just the the freedom that the being in nature kind of affords you i think that's awesome that i mean it's one way it's not awesome that you know 2020 <laughs> happened and all, all these plans went awry but, of course but, but um, it it but like you said it does feel like a return to form both for you know both for sort of the greater theatricality and the you know tradition of theater and also just you know for us personally we started outside loudly declaiming to audiences that weren't necessarily, you know, right up next to us in our cozy little theater. This, in a lot of ways, this made sense for us to do right now. And mm -hmm. it's it's been an exciting thing for us to sort of come back to. I wanted to also ask you a little bit, to tell us a little bit more about the ensemble as it is today and how big it is. I, I know it's always been a, a diverse group of people and maybe somewhat fluid with, you know, people entering and, and leaving at various times. But what give us a snapshot of, of what your current ensemble is like. The current ensemble is, as with most things in this building, cozy and intimate. <laughs> uh, we're a small group that we all wear a lot of hats. Our artistic director, J.P. Jordan, is sort of the grand ringmaster that keeps us all running artistically and also makes sure that we're all keeping ourselves honest in terms of listening to the community, listening to our artistic voices, and doing our best to be true to both. And in tandem with J.P., we've got Lisa Jordan, who I mentioned is our managing director. She's the one who keeps everything ticking from a business and logistics standpoint. 
and the two of them sort of it's tough because in in the one sense they're the bosses overall but they're also they serve the ensemble so they're in charge but the ensemble's in charge then we've got our co-founder bill george who was way back to the beginning the first one to be getting this theater together and we're really grateful to still have his you know 40 years of touchstone wisdom going strong and you know years beyond that and he's a just a really heavy lifter in terms of what touchstone has been and what it's become we've got mary wright who is our storyteller extraordinaire she is our education director just a brilliant artist all around christopher shore who is the head of the theater department over at moravian college incredibly lucky to have him he's a brilliant playwright and director and performer and like i said we wear so many hats (laughs) sounds like it yeah and and i think that's that's the case in probably a lot of smaller community theaters Tell us a little bit about this sci-fi storytelling event called Letters from Afar. This was something that is, it's actually going on right now, although registration is closed for it, but it's such a cool concept. I, I've never heard of anything quite quite like this before. How did this come about? And, and I'm, I'm assuming it was partly a reaction to COVID and, and the need for distancing. Yeah, about, you know, a year-ish ago when we were first sitting down over Zoom for one of those first of many Zoom meetings, you know, we were having conversations about like, you know, we don't know how long this is going to keep going. What can we do as a theater company that keeps us creating art in a an original dynamic sort of way that, you know, isn't going to bore us? <laughs> and obviously there's a lot of stuff that sort of everyone's been doing because it's the you know simplest and correctest thing that we know how to do like we're going to do stuff online and that makes that completely makes sense for us and for lots of other companies but we also knew that like well everyone's going to have so much screen time it will also be good for us to create art that gets us away from our devices and jp had been talking about bringing in a very different sort of male-based art piece that was all about reaching out to community and sending postcards to each other and that sort of thing. And I was inspired by, there's a company called the Mysterious Package Company that Mm. does these sort of like mystery in a box series. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get a letter from a long lost relative who has been on an expedition to the Amazon rainforest and wants to send you back all this cool stuff that they found. (laughs) And over the course of several packages, you're like, oh my God, Uncle Fred was a crazy adventurer. That sounds Um, like fun. (laughs) So I wanted to do something like that, but a little bit more rooted in story and experience. What I came up with was a sort of fictional sci-fi not so distant future version of our universe where we've started exploring other worlds and what are the what are the words and letters we would be sending home so as you mentioned registration has closed for this piece but those that have signed up are in the process of receiving packages 
from this fictional expedition to another world. And they'll get to read letters and pictures and artifacts and all sorts of stuff from another world that they'll never get to see. And sort of in the process of creating it, it became partially, I've always been very, very partial to sci-fi and fantasy, so I, I won't pretend that wasn't a big part of it. Hmm. But I think there's also a kind of loneliness to letter writing and intimacy that felt very appropriate in the time of COVID and the time when we're not close to one another and the time when we're doing a lot of looking at each other's pictures, but not really getting to reach out and touch. Right. I can totally see that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're sending this out sort of into the universe, but you're not going to get the feedback that you normally would as a theatrical storyteller. Yeah. And that's been, that's been an interesting through line for a lot of the work we've done for the last year for the online stuff in particular, where, you know, we're used to being able to say a line and know immediately whether the audience is with us or not, because we can hear their breathing and their laughter and we can see their smiles. Right. And making media to perform online is really different. But yeah, that's that's definitely partially the case here as well. A handful of people have, you know, reached out already and said, oh, I got the first letter. It was really exciting. And that's really good to hear. We've also talked about trying to have an online talk back at some point when the project's finished for a lot of the time after shows, we'll have a Q&A session mm-hmm. with the artist because what Touchstone focuses on is, is original work and it's not the kind of thing that people have necessarily seen before. And so we want to give people a chance to react and ask questions and have conversations. So that may be something we do as well. Right. I I can see a lot of the recipients probably wanting to have something like that because otherwise you're just kind of like, oh, the clue, but like nobody (laughs) knows what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, that's really cool. And, And what other things beyond for 2021 do you have planned? So one thing we haven't touched on yet is that for many years, Touchstone has had an apprenticeship program where we take recently graduated theater artists and say, come on, spend the year at Touchstone and learn about making theater here. A couple years ago, we transferred that into an MFA granting program. So now not only are people hanging out with us for a year, they're hanging out with us for two years and they're walking out of it with a degree. So I bring this up because we will have our first ever MFA senior thesis project coming up in April by one of our MFA students, Adam Ercolani. He's creating an original piece called An Imagined America, and it's a living museum, and it's a drag show, and it's an examination of America, really fascinating piece. And then in May, we've got our Young Playwrights Festival again, We're not yet sure exactly what it's going to be, but we're going to find out, same as last year. And then in June, we will have Fresh Voices, which is a showcase night for our first year MFA students creating their first sort of original work together. Very cool. Anyone that's listening can, of course, visit touchstone.org for more information about these upcoming productions and of course to purchase tickets 
and I would encourage them to do that. And you're also on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anything yep. else? I think, it, I think it's mainly just those three. Okay. And of course, like you said, you have a mailing list. Subscribe to that for updates. I'm sure that's very helpful to stay in the loop with what's coming up. Yeah, we send out mailers usually once or twice a month. So it's a good way to keep updated and hopefully not feel too overwhelmed with, with lots of information. Oh, I'm definitely going to sign up for that because I don't think I'm <laughs> on your mailing list and I want to stay in the loop with all the great things that you have in the future. Thank you so much for joining us, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.